You are listening to the Catholic Exchange Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Catholic Exchange Podcast. This is Michael Litchens, your faithful editor here at CatholicExchange.com. And today I'm happy to welcome someone who should be familiar with many of you, Father Gabriel Mosher. He's written a popular article for us about Don't Just Discern Your Vocation that I think a lot of you recall because it was one of our most popular articles last year. Uh, Father Gabriel has just been recently ordained with the Dominican Order, and he is at Holy Rosary Parish, which is up in my homeland of Portland, Oregon. And Portland, as many of you know, is sometimes regarded as the most godless city in America, as I think what the Washington Times called it. So, Father Gabriel, it's good to hear from you from the great land of Oregon. I am happy to be here. Excellent. Glad to have you. Father Gabriel, this is your first assignment. What is it like to be a newly ordained priest in a place like Oregon? Oh, it's completely exciting. Not only do I have the privilege of serving at probably one of the most amazing parishes in the country, but also mm-hmm. uh, a great archdiocese. Uh, we have an awesome archbishop, and many of the clergy are very, very supportive of our mission here as Dominican friars within the within the territory of the archdiocese. On top of that, you know, there's a lot of people who are unchurched here, so it's a great opportunity for a Dominican whose primary vocation is the salvation of souls. When I lived in Oregon, I thought about like how many people are not only just not Christian, but usually adopt a lot of New Age ideas. In many ways, it's a lot like Dominic's first missions out to the Albigensians. But that's my thought on the t- take. What do you think of that? Absolutely. Most people, I think, here, in the modern world in general, but here in particular, tend to live in their head, even though it's almost a contradiction, even though that sort of hipster culture is all about getting back to something more primal, something more Mm -hmm. natural, there's still just a lot of overthinking about everything. Instead of actually living in the world, it's just romanticism, which is a form of Gnosticism. And, you know, all those heresies, the Albigensian heresy, the Waldensians, the the whole, all of those are all just in some ways, you can consider them under that larger collective of Gnosticism. Yes, absolutely. And uh, what's the primary, if there was a primary religion within a place like Portland or the West Coast or Pacific Northwest in general, do you think there is one or is it anti-religion? What do you think it would qualify as? Or is it really just Gnosticism of various forms? I'd call it the uh, religion of the HBO made-for-TV movie. That's that's pretty much <laughs> what it is. Okay, I think I get that. Can you explain, go into a little more detail, though? What's the made-for-TV movie HBO religion? Yeah, so it's, it's in some ways, everyone is the protagonist. I heard this. Some, someone else coined this phrase on another podcast. had nothing to do with religion, but it's very true. Uh, the way he described it, it was mostly focused on San Francisco, but you could say the whole West Coast. And really, in many ways, the entire Western you know, world mm-hmm. is that uh, everyone seems to be the protagonist of their own made-for-TV HBO movie, and everything centers around them. Like, everyone is somehow a second uh, a second actor or a supporting actor in their own story. And instead of the Christian sort of mindset is that this is about others first. Like, I'm actually supposed to be in this constant state of self-forgetfulness. Yes. And that's what's that's what's missing in the Western world in particular, but here most intensely, that self-forgetfulness. I can absolutely see that, and that is by far one of the best descriptions there. I lived there for, you know, almost 
30 years, and I never would have put my finger on it like that, but yes, perfect. So what is evangelization when somebody is a star of their own HBO drama? What does evangelization look like then? I'm still trying to figure that out to some degree. Mm. Um, I think that first and foremost, it has a lot to do with, well, what an old boss of mine once said when I was working for the Knights of Columbus. One of my bosses, uh, Jim Seideman, he used to say, he says, well, you know, no one know, no one cares about how much you know until they know how much you care. And so that, I think, is the key. And once people understand that you actually do care about them, then they're actually more open to hearing what you have to say. You can actually break into their world. And that's, I think that's, in some ways, something like what the Holy Father does and is, is doing. There's, there's, there's a wisdom there of breaking into the, the narcissism of the Western world, the narcissism of our generation, breaking into that through first a sign of caring and concern and then the possibility because of that relationship the possibility of conversion comes through and after that absolutely so in many ways it's a it's not unsimilar to how we've evangelized in the past which is to first show signs of love and signs of caring for others and then we are able to then preach the good news it sounds like hey st paul said they'll know us by our love i mean that's that is the key uh, figure mm-hmm. of 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 the gospel is love, faith, hope, and love, and the greatest of these is love, as Saint Paul says. It doesn't mean to belittle faith or hope; these are very important. Without faith, you don't have love in this in this world. You have to have that virtue that perfects the intellect, that uh, that theological virtue, and you have to have that hope. But still, that being said. Charity is primary. Love is primary. And, and approaching people with and through true love, loving them simply because God loves them and reaching them where they're at and then not leaving them where they're at, then you can start to have that conversation. Once you have that trust in a relationship, then you're able to, to elevate that relationship to something that is redemptive. And that is that I think is the key of the of the new evangelization because after all the new evangelization is just the old evangelization. It's it's doing what our Lord did, doing what the apostles did, doing what the fathers did, not not shying away from the difficult conversations or the difficult questions, but not leading off with those. Leading off with with what is common, what is uh understandable. Even Aristotle said Aristotle said things are received according to the mode of the receiver. And so if the person that you're talking to isn't able to receive what you're saying, then it's futile. When you're out there and evangelizing, I don't, I'm always curious, what does this look like also from your perspective? What does it look like on a practical level? But as a lay level, anyone who's living in a place like Portland, Oregon or San Francisco, what does this look like to evangelize first through charity and then through knowledge? What does that look like, practically speaking? It just looks like having normal human conversations. Everything starts there. Religion ought not be compartmentalized. Our faith is not something that is uh, this other sort of avenue or, or venture that we're engaged in. Every aspect of our life should have the gospel completely woven into it. Every aspect of our life should be infused with the gospel. So we could be having a conversation about sports ball or whatever you want to have a conversation about and there will be that Christian dimension to it simply because uh, 
you know, you're not losing your head. You're not, you have, you don't love football more than you love the Lord. You know, you don't, you don't, uh, you're not using blasphemy and you're not, you're not using vulgarity in your, in your speech. You have a chaste way of approaching the world. You have chaste eyes when you're, when you're engaging conversations with, if you're a guy with women, with women, men, um, or whatever. And, you are you you know you just bring to every conversation that you have whether it's on politics or sports or anything doesn't matter the color of drapes you want to get for your house everything is somehow infused with being a christian and when you do that when you aren't when you aren't a christian simply on the weekends or when you're at mass or when you're talking to father or whatever when that mm-hmm. actually means something to every aspect of your life, people can see that, and then people start asking questions. And that's really what you want, quite frankly. In evangelization, you want to do less speaking than the person that you're trying to evangelize. Certainly. And going back, uh, you mentioned you shouldn't have your religion compartmentalized. Can you explain what that term means to folks who may not know? And also, do you see that as a huge problem in our church right now? It's just a major American problem. I, I don't know. Mm-hmm. I don't know who else has this problem, but Americans are known for compartmentalizing their life. So there, I have my work life over here, my home life over here, my relatives over here, my friends over here, my religion over there. These are all different compartments. They're all different rooms in a house, and I move mm-hmm. from room to room throughout the day, depending on what context I'm inhabiting at any given moment. It's kind of like. You know, it's, a, it's, it's sort of a productivity – I don't know. I think it comes out of a lot of those productivity models that the United States is, is famous for, you know, the different – the Carnegie models and the, you know, seven habits, et cetera, et cetera, where like you take an inbox, your, your, your email inbox, and many people will divide that inbox into different emails. So you have your stuff that is for work, your stuff that is for home, your stuff that is for – you know, close friends and family, and, and each one is a separate inbox, and you address each one of those inboxes when you're in that particular context, mm-hmm. whether you're at home, you're working or not. They actually recommend against having everything into one big bucket because then you start losing that distinction between work and, and your home life. Well, the faith cannot be compartmentalized like that. The faith has to be part of everything that we do. It is not a room in the house that we inhabit. It's the house. <laughs> the faith is the house. Everything else is a room within that house of faith. I find it interesting you mentioned the compartmentalizing, the fact that we divide things throughout our life. It was something I even learned from, a, of all people, a career coach, that when someone mentioned work-life balance, they said work is part of life. There's no compartmentalizing here. It's all part of it. And I think never realized until this conversation actually that we really do do that with our faith. Absolutely, I, I, I was I was listening to a uh, talk by a famous productivity guy, uh, David Allen, mm-hmm. and David Allen's productivity, the getting getting things done system, doesn't have that sort of compartmentalizing uh, process. It's simply that there are things that you need to get done throughout your life so that you could eventually reach leisure. Like that's the whole point of trying to get to a point where you can have leisure. And he says, don't have all those different inboxes. Have one inbox. Put everything in there and just start working through it as, as the day goes. Once you do that, then you get everything done and now you have time for leisure. And actually that's what's necessary in the Christian life as well because as Aquinas teaches us, without leisure, you can't have contemplation. So we mm-hmm. have to be able to get rid of all of these things out of our life, push them away, 
so that you can eventually have time for leisure, not idleness, which is another problem here in, in the Western world, in the first world at least. And then, and then you can enter into contemplation, develop that relationship with God, truly participate and, and understand that participation in the, in the life of the Blessed Trinity. And once you do that, then you can carry that relationship that you've established with God into the world for evangelization. Evangelization will not be effective. It will not be effective until faithful Christians start focusing on the contemplative life. Very true. So in many ways, this new evangelization contemplation is absolutely the utmost importance, even still, if you're not a monk or like you, a friar, we still need to into that period of contemplation. Absolutely. Without it, there everything is lost. All contemplation is, if you really dig deep into it, well, on the one hand, Aquinas says, this is man's last end. Our whole purpose in this life is to enter into contemplation because that's what heaven is. Heaven is literally an eternity of contemplation. And we begin that process on earth and it happens through the you know through our mm-hmm. baptismal gifts of, of faith hope and love and once we do that once we start entering into that life now well then we can actually develop that relationship that we desire and that's you know that's one of the problems today many many people want to have the relationship with with god without entering into contemplation they want some sign of sort of process or method or some sort of work a day busy um spirituality that will lead them to deeper contemplation. But I'm sorry, that's not, that is not the way that the church has seen contemplation. That is not the tradition. That is not the wisdom of the saints. The wisdom of the saints is that you have to stop. And as Mother Teresa put it, you must have silence, silence, silence. And once you have that, then you can enter into that relationship with God because he's so silent. He speaks so quietly so that you can reach out to him, listen to him. And then once you, once you have started to hear, hear our Lord in that silence, in that stillness, in that contemplation, then, then and only then are you able to effectively share, share him with others, because now you're actually listening to the Master. In many ways, this conversation has reminded me of one we had here on the Catholic Exchange podcast with Charlie McKinney about a uh, education in america and sometimes whether it's catechesis or teaching at catholic school it can look like the blind leading the blind and i'm thinking talking to you that in some ways without this contemplation that's what evangelization could look like if we're not contemplating if we're not listening for god it can be the blind leading the blind do you see that as well or am i really off key here no i think you're right i think what happens is is we become sophists Mm. we what, what happens is is we become uh we get filled with a bunch of uh, definitions. Our faith becomes definitional instead of propositional. So the church has propositions of faith that it provides for us for belief. Mm-hmm. You know, it, 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 distills, it distills certain aspects of the mystery of faith for us to conceive with, with, our, with our human intellect. And we receive those. And, but that's a beginning. Those are entry points into the mystery. And so what happens is if we think that that is simply the faith itself – we start taking those propositions, which are articulations about a mystery, um, for being the definitions of the faith. So you memorize all the definitions, you memorize all of the, um, in a sense, the intellectual rubrics of the faith. And then, therefore, once you do that, 
you're magically converted. You're magically holy. You magically mm-hmm. know everything there is to know about the faith. That's, 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 that's kind of the way the sophists were in ancient Greece with philosophy. It's, it's not about – the thing is, is that it's not about gaining discrete definitional knowledge. The faith is not about that. Quite frankly, philosophy, human, just pure human knowledge isn't about that. As Socrates and uh, the, the ancient Greeks sort of uh, articulated, it's not about gaining knowledge. It's about growing in wisdom. Same with the Christian faith. We're supposed to be seeking after wisdom. Yes. And because we have, yeah, and because we have the gift of faith, not natural faith, but theological faith, that wisdom can extend up to a, a, a type of knowledge of divine providence. I mean, that, that is tremendous. Uh, the, the fact that we can see wisdom as opposed to simple knowledge is wisdom is the knowledge of the cause of things. And then we start to get a sense of God's divine plan through the seeking of divine wisdom. This is something that is truly, truly phenomenal. And it is not, it is not uh, simply contained within a, uh, within, as I said, a definitional um, understanding of the faith. And this is what happens when we focus too heavily, and again, not to the detriment of these things, but when we focus too heavily and exclusively um, on, a, um, on a catechetical uh, focus on conversion. That's one portion that is an essential portion, but it's not the sum total. And sometimes what happens, maybe it's because of the apologetics movement, maybe it's because of the problem there's been so such poor catechesis, that many good faithful Catholics, they focus in on this just a little bit too much to the exclusion of, of the life of contemplation. Yes. And I think I've heard that written before, even actually within apologetic circles about that issue. For But uh, move right along. This might be too big of a question, but for somebody who's listening to this and realizes they do need to work on contemplation, can you as a good Dominican recommend any good resources or a good starting point for a layman or a laywoman to start in contemplation? Absolutely. Uh, my, my favorite – well, let me, let me, let me preface. There's, there's a couple of, of different ways that I'd approach this. First and foremost, I think that it is essential that every, every lay Catholic reads uh, St. Francis de Sales' Introduction to the Devout Life. Yes. I think this is, this is elementary reading. Um, he's the one that develops pretty much what we consider to be spirituality. The modern notion of spirituality, it comes from him. So I think that's an important start. However, also, there is another author from the last century, and he was uh, an, an amazing Dominican, uh, very controversial in, in some ways, but his name is uh, Reginald Marie Gary Goulagrange. Yes. Mm-hmm. And what I think he will be remembered for in the end, he, he had a whole bunch of books, <clears throat> and he was constantly polemicizing against, against different, you know, issues within, within Thomism, within the larger world of theology. But, um, he wrote a work, well, there's two works. One of them is the shorter work. It's the three ways of the spiritual life. And that is very accessible to anybody. It's a short book, maybe a hundred pages. However, the full work, The Three Ages of the Interior Life, that is a spiritual masterpiece. He's trying to fuse the thought of St. Thomas Aquinas with the great mystics hmm. and doing very, a very successful job of it. And 
I think this work is actually in many ways a solution to a lot of the a lot of the modern misconceptions of spirituality. He's very realistic. He's not uh he's not um he's not an <laughs> he's not an idealist. He's not he's not saccharine. He's not uh he's not sort of a a strange mystic in in that sort of like eastern mystic sort of way. He's not a guru. Yes. Right? He's what he's doing, he's laying out this is how spirituality works. This is how we as we're growing in virtue and as we're growing in our conversation with God, these are the mm-hmm. steps that we go through. And and so so you have and you have to go through this stage before you get to the next stage. So when I was doing youth ministry, one of the problems is you'd get a a, a teenager who would just be you know, struggling in their faith for one reason or another, and they'd come up to you and they're like, ah, oh, gosh, you know, I think I'm experiencing the dark night of the soul. And I said, no, you're just sad. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and so I said, if you, you know, because you have to go through the dark night of the, of, of the, you have to go through the, the, the purgation of the, of the senses first. You, you have to, you have to attain a certain level of the moral life before you're going to enter in, before God will let you uh, grow into that deeper level of the mystical union because you're not ready for it until you you don't have the attachment to to mortal sin or all these other things and you know people confuse all this stuff these days because they have a lot of pop knowledge about you know John of the Cross and Teresa Vivala and Teresa Lazou and all these people well Lagrange helps clear all that stuff away put it together cohesively and articulate what real spirituality looks like and those, even though I've read the author, those are books I've never heard of by him, so I need to find these as well. Which which ones are you more familiar with? Uh, like uh, reality or reality? Uh, his, I think he, if I recall, he wrote one on it was like Christian perfection in Thomas Aquinas and things of that nature. But it's been a while since I've read him. I had to read him for my MA, but I don't remember that much. <laughs> most most people don't remember what they had to read for their MA, so that, no. that makes perfect sense to me. <laughs> We're just trying to get through it. I'm not do, uh, trying to attain Christian perfection. Just get my MA. Get that's out. right. That's right. That's that, you know. But see, this is the thing, right? So, um, I, I run into people all the time with this notion of contemplation that mm-hmm. uh, study, like, we're actually wait a minute. You're you're telling me that the way to pray is by studying something, by studying scripture, by studying the 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 positive faith, by reading the fathers and and the great saints. Well, wait a minute. I, I'm, I've, I've accustomed. I'm accustomed because of the way that I've lived my life ever since I was in elementary school. I've, I've grown accustomed to studying for a test. Yes. I mean, I, or, or to write a paper, to finish a thesis, or all these other things. So study is is completely divorced from this notion of contemplation or meditation. But that is what's essential. This is our religion. The, the, the second person of blessed, blessed Trinity is called the Word for a reason. The Logos, mm-hmm. and it's the Logos who took flesh, and so that that knowledge that the is is an essential part to growing in the spiritual life. Yes, absolutely, and it's uh, something what many of us in the MA program remember talking about is like this doesn't seem the best way to create Christian contemplation, but we did it. You got to do what you got to do. Yeah. yeah, on one on one hand, there is a reality. So you deal with the reality, and then you move forward from that. You learn from that. You use that as a as a foundation. Exactly. You know, a foundation is not a house. A house is not a foundation, and they need they need each other. 
And so you have to you have to memorize your your catechism before you go on to further studies, right? You have mm-hmm. to have this proper ratio of of education, beginning with you know all the rote prayers, all the memorized definitions, all the doctrine. That's why I'm saying that what I'm saying is not to the contrary or to the to the detriment of any of those things. It's building upon those and growing and taking those things as as simply the foundation upon which one must build a spiritual house upon for the sake of the salvation of souls and the salvation of one's own soul. And I agree. And our final question is we're slowly running out of time. This is a little more fun than the previous ones I keep asking you. What is your favorite part about being a priest in Portland? Hearing confessions, bar none. Is that true of every place you've been to or is it particularly Portland? No, no, it's just hearing confessions. I, I don't think that that anything else could be more amazing. I, I, I still am in in this uh, indecision phase where I can't decide what is more phenomenal. Celebrating the most holy Eucharist being you know the celebrant of the of the mass mm-hmm. or you know and offering the mass for, for everybody every day or hearing the confessions of, of all the faithful people. I mean, we hear so many confessions here at this parish. It's amazing. I do not know how priests uh, survive if they're not hearing confessions. It's like it's you hear confessions of these people, and it's like holding up a mirror to you, and you're convicted, and you you need to grow. When you hear the people, you're like, yeah, I need to grow in virtue. I need to grow in holiness. It's this constant reminder. It's It's a beautiful thing. Absolutely. Well, I can imagine. I obviously have no experience with that, but I can imagine. And for anyone who's listening who thinks they might want to go to confession or maybe a little turned off, well, now you know there's a priest whose favorite thing in the world is to hear your confession, so please stop by. (laughs) Absolutely. Anytime, especially if you're here in Portland. We hear confessions every day from for for an hour or two a day. Wow. Okay. And if uh, folks wanted to learn more about your Holy Rosary, what are some sites they can go to? I think the easiest place to find me is most of the social media outlets, Facebook, Twitter. Mm-hmm. Uh, I still have a profile on app.net. For, it still doesn't really exist anymore, but it's still kind of sort of out there. Uh, but all of these places, uh, I have the same handle. It's uh, Luke I4655, so that's L-U-K-E-I 4655. And that's pretty much everywhere on the interwebs. I also have uh, a website, 8th Way dot com and that's e i g h t h way dot com also I, I would highly recommend people looking at the website for my province which is opwest.org it's a one of the most beautiful websites on the internet Agreed. I think. it's amazing we just went through this beautiful uh you know revision of it it's gorgeous and then also here at uh, holy rosary it's uh, HolyRosaryPDX.org, and you can find out all of our mass times and what we're about over here. Great, and we'll put those links up on our show notes, so anyone who's listening and would like to find these, just go to CatholicExchange.com, you can find them. And if you are in Portland, I always go to Holy Rosary anytime I've been in Portland. I was last there in March, and it's a wonderful parish, great folks there, and uh, if you can catch the Dominican Rite Mass, you'll be feel like you've been transported to heaven, so please do go. We do what we can. (laughs) Thank you. Well, Father Gabriel, thank you so much for joining us here. This was a really intriguing conversation, and I know our listeners will benefit greatly. Well, praise God. I I hope that that, uh, everyone just grows in their desire to to know God and so that they can serve him and love him. I agree. Thank you so much.